Brian Melvin, welcome to the Edge Broadcast. Well, it's, it's good to be here. I was turning up my microphone volume here. Okay. Not my mic, but my earphones. Not a problem. Go ahead and make your adjustments. That's what I do every time I start the show. Yeah, that's what you got to do. <laughs> hey, well, Brian, welcome to the Edge Broadcast. I know it's your first time here. Glad to have you. I've seen you in some other programs. And, uh, boy, you, you, you have a, a story to tell, and I, I feel like uh, it's as relevant now as when, it first, when you first experienced what you went through. And a, a lot of people only think about um, the afterlife as just one way. In fact, here's the thing, Brian. Everybody says they're going to heaven. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven, and then the other half says there's no heaven. Or, there's no heaven, and ain't no hell. So they've got to worry about it. So, do they got something to worry about? They got something to worry about, big time. <laughs> they do. And uh, will and I hope my testimony that I'll share tonight will, will kind of clear the air on that. So, because mm -hmm. you know, um, in my experience, uh, some people will doubt what I happened to me, but in 1980, I drank some bad water at a construction site that someone brought back from um, Mexico and um, from a creek and I drank that contracted cholera who knows what else and basically the symptoms of cholera you lose fluids out of both ends and your body goes in shock if untreated and you die and well that's what happened to me I found out that there is an afterlife and that you will exist after you died because when this happened to me i was a militant atheist and so like a lot of people who did not believe in the afterlife i was one of those used to argue against it you couldn't convince me i always thought that you when you die you're just a dead hunk of meat or you can believe that you know you can go to heaven you know live any old way you please whatever i i ran across that when i was growing up but the thing was, I became a militant atheist, and I found out otherwise. Mm. Well, I, I do. I don't. Really, I really don't want to miss any point in our discussion, and I know that you've you've uh, you've shared your testimony and such. I hopefully will be able to get to some places maybe you've never been to before. But uh, let's let's just start straight up with what is a militant atheist? What is a militant atheist? Well, for me, when it started, I my, I grew up in a uh, Christian home, a Southern Baptist home, and. And so I grew up in the 60s and the 70s as a kid in the 60s. So I grew up 10 miles south of D.C. in a very highly politically area. A lot of things going on in the 60s, a lot of protests and a lot of things going on. As a young kid, it kind of like uh, I just got pulled away from God. I always tried. I, I joke about this, but the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons, if people are familiar with those, they corrupted me. I, I tell you, Dan, they, they corrupted me because there is this uh, character, Simon the Dog or something, and, is, is, and he had a time machine, and they would go back in time and interview philosophers. So I started reading philosophy as a kid and went to the library and got these books. I mean, I mean my age and I guess our age, Dan, uh, our reading level is a lot higher than it is now. So I was reading philosophy books in elementary school and understanding them. And so I read all this stuff, and slowly, after I saw everything, caused me to question things, I just fell away. I didn't believe in God anymore. I didn't know anything. I went to an agnosticism, bounced to atheism for a bit. So by the time I was in my, uh, say, about 18 through 20 there, I became a very militant atheist. That means I had a chip on my shoulder and I was going to disprove that God exists. Mm. And so I, you know, we had a campus crusade people come up to try to witness to us, to us where I used to live in south of D.C. area. And 
you know, we'd get in some heated discussions. That's exactly what I would do and try to disprove God. I wrote about it in my book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, a couple of things. I wrote about a, a gal named Trish. It's just a made-up name. I don't really know her name. I don't remember her name. And she um, was the only one that I could not stump. And she came up, and, uh, and we met her because some guys were trying to take her behind the um, storefront to, to have their way with her. You know, and so me and this other guy saw that, and he was driving old uh, 68 GTO, and so we slammed in there, we got out of the car, we grabbed those guys and told her to run, she ran, and everything, and after that, she started witnessing to us. <laughs> wow. Okay. And um, so we spared her of getting hurt by these, these, these people, and so she trusted us, I guess, but, you know, she was... And so I could not stump her. She, she stumped me every time. And I could not uh, disprove God to her in, in the one iota. And that left an impression upon me. And, but I still was a militant atheist. And I used to argue with my relatives down. I, my, a lot of my mom's side of the family lives in southwest Virginia. So in southwest Virginia, I'd spend my summers on the farm just to get away from my crazy town up, up where I used to live. And so, and it was good to work on the farm and do all that stuff, but all my relatives were devout Christians, and my aunt and uncles were, would witness to me and tell me that, you know, Brian, you know, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and they would witness to me about Jesus, and I would talk back and question them, and, and, then, and then one day my uncle said to me, you know, okay, Brian, here's a question I want to ask you. Where did the first seed come from for the first plant? Well, I said it just came together by molecules and just accidentally fitted together, and there you had a seed. And he kept pushing it, and he, I saw the absurdity of what I was saying about random chance just by a seed. That made an impression upon me, but still I would not listen at all to anyone's thing. So I became a militant atheist. People tried to witness to, to me. I would deliberately go out of my way to... Uh, um, confront them in, in, a, in a reasonable way, not in an offensive way. Maybe I was a little offensive sometimes. But um, my parents had a pastor in training from seminary, just got out up there and and came over at the house, and I'm sitting there drinking a beer, playing a game, a board game with him, and trained, he's trying to witness to me and smoking a cigarette at that time, blowing smoke and in the space <laughs> I was pretty obnoxious at times <laughs> just how I was I just I didn't I just want to disprove God I hated God for all what's going on in the world I said, why didn't God just stop it why didn't you know if he made everything and he's in charge of everything what's all this stuff why is the devil what's the, and why is there evil and that's you know those type of questions led me in that route so I would once in a time, in a while, I'd meet Christians who I couldn't stump. Most of them were easy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a statement right there. Uh, hey, a, a viewer wants to know, did you live in Fairfax County, Virginia before? Yes, I lived in Falls Church. Okay. Um, by the way, we have a link to your website on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, on our, on our website. And we also, I don't know if you've seen it, but we do have a poll question related to tonight's topic, what is hell? The choices for people are a fiery burning pit, a separation from God, disappearing into nothing, seeing Kamala's face, that sounds like hell, a place for demons, listening to the X, 
that's more hell, and then eternal torture and pain. Uh, mm -hmm. If you were to take that poll, uh, uh, Brian, what would be your answer? Uh, boy, you since rattled them off so fast, I couldn't catch them all. <laughs> Leon, I, I, that's what I do. I, I, I go slower. Here you go. Here's your choices: a a fiery burning pit, separation from God, disappearing into nothing, seeing Kamala Harris's face. <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I need a good laugh. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, that may be the highest ranking one. Uh, and then, of course, an adequate follow-up, A Place for Demons, Listening to the X, for those that have them, and then Eternal Torture and Pain. Now, are you going to select Kamala's face? No. I was going to say it's a separation from God, and it's terrifying. And there's also eternal uh, recompense, as I call it. And that's what that awaits people. It's it's like what the Bible says in uh, um, Isaiah chapter one verses uh, let's see, 18 through 20. It talks about, "Come, let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And he goes on down and says, "If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, um, basically, it's on you." And and so right there, and you go back to Isaiah chapter 55 there where God says, So shall by word go forth from my mouth, it will accomplish what I, I please. So therefore he spoke that we could reason with him. God knows the outcome. It's true. He knows the outcome. Before we're ever born, if we, were, if we will refuse and rebel, if we won't, but he still offers a choice through his word. And that word became flesh. That's Jesus Christ. And he, he came to save us from that, and he knows who will and who won't, but he offers the choice to every living person to make. And, he, and, if, and it's, on, it's on them if they reject. Well, that's an interesting question right there in itself, Brian. That is, um, I think you just said that he knows who will make that choice. Uh, do you believe in predestination? Not the way most people teach it. Because, uh, like I said, he gave free moral will. And he's not a slave to free moral will at all. What he, what he does is, is he offers a choice. He sends his word. He sent his word uh, through Moses. He sent his word to Abraham uh, be about faith. And this is what the Bible teaches. And then Jesus was, is, is God, is the word. The word, man, the word became God and dwelt among us. And the Word was God, so forth, etc. So Jesus is the manifestation of the Word of God. And so without the Word of God giving a call, there could be no reason, no decision made. And you got to understand, it all, it's all based on God's foreknowing. Yes, he foreknows who will and who won't, but he gives that same call to everybody. Mm -hmm. You can't find fault with God. You can't say, oh, I... I I'm automatically destined for hell, and I might as well just uh, just live like the devil because I know I'm 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 not going to make it. And so that's kind of what I was up against when I was an atheist because a lot of people believe that, and I always uh, used to argue with them and, you know, and that's, stuff like that. And that, so, that. Um, but when I had my experience of seeing hell and I came back knowing that I just knew this, and I found all my answers were in the Bible about this, too. God gives us the ability to reason and think, and it, he wants you to decide. 
um, there's a 70s song by an old rock band, and in, in the song they go, uh, I swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. And so, I mean, a lot of people, want, they want to play their hand, try to play both cards, but there's only one card going to be laid at the time of death. Is, is it not there, Brian? Yep, yep. And uh, with me, I can verify that's true. And it's it's an amazing thing. It's it's a, mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing to die and and face a judgment like you don't even expect. And if I when I tell people about this judgment, their their jaws drop open and they just can't can't believe what. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it's nothing like you expect. And yet it's everything the Bible says. <laughs> It's just the details that are lacking. Oh, sounds like you sounds like you experienced some details there. Is um, uh, is hell inside the earth? In my opinion, um, I think it is. I think it's in another dimension inside the earth. Because the reason I say that is that in the book of Exodus, uh, the earth opened up and swallowed the sons of Korah into the pit. That's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And so there is a literal hell, but I think it is a is an abode of the dead. It's a uh, the cosmology of ancient Hebrews. They had a place called Sheol, which was a, one place was eternal punishment. The other p- place was called Abraham bosom, where the righteous dead that uh, found faith like Abraham, like um, David and all the rest of them could dwell. And so there was a division there. And, but that was the cosmology of that biblically and so so hell was always portrayed in the scriptures in the middle of the earth somewhere somehow and then I, I call it another dimension it's definitely another dimension <laughs> uh, I, and I think we can move down that road a little bit now we know what a, a militant atheist is so it sounds to me like a pretty good turn of events and I always feel like people that go from that extreme to another has had something extreme happen to them because most of us won't change Unless something extreme happens to us, I mean, we can we can deal with a lot of things in between until uh, until something so significant, and tragic, or so monumental affect us. And really, that's the only time humans do change. Hopefully, we can learn maybe by you know if somebody once told me, Brian, that it's good to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from the mistakes of others. So yes, and, and I would say for the people who don't believe in hell, I guess it's better to learn from you, no one who are who's claiming there is a literal hell than say dying and you have to go experience their self so that's kind of mm-hmm. a, that's kind of one of those things all right so uh let's describe this then you're you uh you drink uh, some uh, contaminated drink and you got fluids coming out of every orifice is what you said <laughs> i think with that. yeah well there's also another symptoms like razor blades sloshing around in your gut the pain is extreme and um you have a high fever Okay. And uh, you, you basically dehydrate. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, did you know you were dying when that was happening to you? It's peculiar. Um, you don't think normal, but uh, no, I did not. Um, I thought I was uh, young, strong. I thought I was John Wayne because after I drank the water, saw what I drank, I said, I'm going to take the John Wayne cure and I want to go see Dr. Jack Daniels and... Uh, old granddad and and you know he might have some wild turkey for me too and some jose cuervo and that would take care of everything no it didn't um i got worse um so and so as i got worse i did not realize that in cholera you have a relapse not a relapse but a uh, a phase before your body goes into shock you feel great 
all the symptoms subside and you feel normal and that's exactly what happened to me and best way I can put it is I felt normal. It's about the third day, going on the fourth day, I can't remember which because being a feverish all that time. Uh, I rented, I had a duplex apartment, I had a couple roommates there, some friends from back east that came with me, and they were planning to go up to uh, Phoenix to meet with some people who had a plane to fly over the Grand Canyon and into the Grand Canyon. Back then you still could. And you know, I thought that would sound great, so we made these plans, and so there were time for them to go, and it was a Saturday. And I told them, go ahead and go. See, I'm up out of bed. I feel great. All I need to do is just sit back and recover. I'll drink some water. And I, I made this big spiel. I was up walking around talking. I had no, no thought that I was going to die. Now, when I was sick and, and losing everything, I thought I might. But I came out of it. I said, oh, it's over. It's over. <sighs> and... Um, so I walked through the kitchen while they left. I waved to them as they drove off, and they were shaking their heads like, you, 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 dumb, you know what. And so they had a neighbor to come and check on me. That's who found me later, and our next-door neighbor. And he's the one that took me to the hospital and helped me recover. And I don't remember too much of that part. It's kind of foggy. But um, so I had, a, as soon as they left, everything came back and I collapsed on the floor of the kitchen and I was in excruciating pain I felt everything building up again I didn't know I still had anything in me to go out both ends so I managed to crawl it took me a few hours I guess to crawl from the kitchen was about maybe 15 20 feet into the bathroom and uh and I know I passed out there and I cleaned up everything. I don't know how I did all this, but I, I couldn't walk. All I could do was crawl back into the room and with a great effort, lift myself on the bed, cover myself uh, with blankets, a sleeping bag, because I was freezing cold. I mean, I had a chill so bad. This fever was on my teeth were rattling. And that's how it was. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And at that point, I really didn't care if I died. I was in so much misery that I just didn't care. And I was in extreme pain and uh, the fever the, and the shaking. And I lived in Tucson, Arizona when we had no air conditioning. So inside the house, it's like 94 degrees with the swamp cooler on. And so, um, and I was freezing. And then I took my last breath. And I remember it because my dog came up to... Um, she was whimpering, and it's really, you know, dogs are really sensitive to some things. But, you know, my dog's not lassie, couldn't get help. And so, and I couldn't do anything. And I took my last breath, and something came out of me, and my hand went through my dog's chin. And I looked around, and I could see without my glasses, pristine clear, across the room, I could see the alarm clock, the time at 10 till noon. I could see everything so pristine clear. And so from, it was amazing. And I could hear, I could hear my neighbors uh, on the other side of us arguing. <laughs> As a young couple, they always argued. And they were arguing again. And then I heard uh, someone kicking a can down the road. The kids were kicking a can down the road and using a stick and stuff. And I could hear them. The next thing I knew, I floated above my body. I looked down. I had no pain. I looked down. I lost my atheism right then and there. That's what happened. Uh, you know, I found out that atheism is a lie. When you die, you still exist. In fact, I, in fact, Dan, I became more alive at that moment than I am now. 
it's like waking up into the ultimate reality and I had no more pain everything was okay I was floating above my body I looked down and I was I kind of a uh, a moldy kind of bluish white color with a tint of blue and it didn't look too good and then I floated through the ceiling and went past the swamp cooler which I passed and it had um, there was a bandana tied around it, the access port and because they stripped out the screws and they had bailing wire at one top and a bandana at the bottom and so I went right by that I never knew that was there until I went up to change the filter because <laughs> You know, about a month later, when I changed the filter, I went up there and went, wow, that's exactly what I saw when I went through the ceiling. And, and I went above, and I could see the kids kicking the can down the road, and found out later that at that time, they were kids, and they were kicking the can down the road with a stick, and just exactly what I saw. And yes, my neighbors had a big argument, found all that out, even could identify things they said mm-hmm. so so i floated up that and i went into a dark void and this, this void was peaceful i was actually at very peace and i was heading toward a light and being an atheist i knew nothing about after death experiences near death experience i knew nothing about them i wouldn't believe them if someone had the, said said so this was 1980 this stuff really wasn't very well known mm-hmm. and and so I was floating toward this light, and I knew I was going to, I thought I was going to go to heaven. I really did at first. And because I heard this beautiful sounding music, it was outstanding. And it was in another language, but I could understand what they were singing in my own language. Sounds strange, but that's how it was. And they were singing about the glories of God and the mysteries of the universe, the best way I can put it and sum it up in the short amount of time I have. It would be like all the questions you ever had and all the whys of life answered. And at the same time, I would have my, um, it was like you were being probed in a way. Um, like you were had like life reviews, these flashes of your life going before you and everything and I was and I knew I was going to face judgment but since I felt all this great compassion and love and acceptance mm-hmm. you know if I was resuscitated then my testimony would be different it really would it makes uh, makes a lot of sense but I continued on and I came to what I looked to appeared to me to be this big rock and this person was standing on this rock and the light was coming from him, just like it says in Habakkuk, rays of light come from his hands. And um, that's what I saw. And it's the most beautiful light I've ever seen. It was brilliant. And the colors, our natural eyes don't see colors like this. And this beautiful, beautiful light. And and so and I, I saw him. He got up, looked like a little... Uh, rock ledge out of a wall and he got up and he walked down the stairs toward me and I landed feet first in front of him and I fell I just fell like a dead sack of wheat and someone picked me up and I always tell people it's like somebody with crazy glue in their hand they picked me up I didn't want to stand up <laughs> I want to hide hide in, in the dirt there and I stood right in front of him and he had a hood on and I knew it was Jesus I can see uh, part of his beard pulled out I could see some scars and I could see the uh, where he was crucified in the wrist, uh, the nails went into the wrist, and uh, and it was shocking, and and then I had the uh, beside the profound peace, beside all that 
beside learning all these mysteries of the universe and the whys of life, I don't have time to get into them all. Um, for example, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. God is a God of the living. Mm-hmm. He's not the God of the dead. He will not take away life. And with that type of knowledge, an entity came and rebelled. That was Things like that are, are what you learn as you're going through this void. And it's all scripture. It's all scripture-based. It's an amazing thing. And I didn't know scripture back then. I didn't read the Bible. And so, like I said, all the bits and pieces in your life, and you see how teachers, schools, movies, media, the world, and myself, how we painted it and what we did to it. In my book, I called it, you know, uh, making life ugly. We just make life terribly ugly. And I saw all of a sudden... I was facing a reckoning. The love that I felt was judging me. And um, so it revealed how I viewed that Christianity and God is oppressive and closed-minded, restricted bigots and so forth, etc. That they were stuck in the mud, that they were cruel, and they needed to be overthrown. I thoroughly justified my atheism for that, you know, in my arguments and stuff. And I I thought that God owed humanity apology for being so cruel. And so I learned this from school. I learned it from myself. That's why I became this militant atheist. And so as the Lord was revealing these things to me after I landed in front of him, uh, he started to show me things about myself. It was a reckoning of what I was really like on the inside. He showed me how I took advantage of, of love, his love. And people don't understand the meaning of agape love. They, 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 they say agape love is merely unconditional love. But however, in today's environment, unconditional love is, could be subjective to anything you wanted to say. So uh, I, later on, I've been working on this since early 1980s to current day. What is a good definition of agape love? So I went to the etymology of the Greek with his Hebrew counterpart, Latin, and combined all the meanings of all these different words for love that are translated agape, so forth, etc. And I came up with this. God's love is, involves unconditional cherishing, nurturing, edifying, building up, uh, and rebuking and reproving and chastening. It involves teaching and uh, explaining things and teaches you how to walk in truth it's an unconditional way in other words god loves the world he's always cherishing and nurturing he makes the rainfall on the just and the unjust he's good to all so forth etc and we screw it up (laughs) and so the lord was showing me what i did with that love he gave me good parents i stole money from him to get drugs I i i did all kinds of things and so I was facing this judgment that I could not weasel out of. I couldn't, couldn't say, oh, you know, uh, I, I was born under a bad sign. It fell on me and hit my head, and that's why I acted so crazy, so let me into heaven or anything like that. There was no, I had no excuse. I saw myself, how I treated others. I saw how I betrayed, how I abandoned, how I rejected people, and I used people like a commodity. Never thought I did, but I sure did. I placed burdens on my parents and people who, who trusted me. I, I sure did. And that they could not bear. I mocked people. I sold drugs. I sold drugs to a Southern Baptist youth group and got them all high during one of their um, skating rink episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I wasn't a good old boy. Not at all. And uh, you realize that, wow, 
I, I just blew it. I realized that after you die, you die, you left, you'll be in the state that you die in. If you find Jesus Christ, he frees you of this. But if you die unsaved, you're going to be exposed to how you abandoned, betrayed, and rejected people, how you lied about them, how you beat them with your words, how you mocked them, how, how you crucified them, you know, in different ways. Everyone has done this and in some form or another. And it shows you how you take advantage of the love of God that he shows every day how good he is to you and what you've done with it. And then you realize that I'm the one that screwed life up around those around me, how I hurt people, got in fights, so forth, etc. And, wow, I, I don't deserve heaven. <laughs> In no way. So I saw every relationship I crucified, every wound I inflicted on people. I saw myself as I, as, as I was at back then, a total absolute wretch hmm. undeserving and that's the type of judgment i call it the judgment of love because if you reject god's love god's love will reject you there's no ands if and how we live our life here proves how we reject that hmm. you don't want god you want your own ways <laughs> you know kamala harris is, is 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 your hero you got a problem you know so <laughs> <laughs> So, right. you know, geez. All right. We've got, we've got a number of questions here. Let's get a couple quick questions in, the people watching the show. Um, Steve Woodruff says, Brian, did we ask to be born? Uh, that's a good question. The answer is I don't know. I don't think we were asked to be born. We, we were known. God knows that we would be born, and I don't know how it all works. I really don't. Okay. Well, and I, I don't may, know how he does that, but I trust him in that. There, there's a whole kind of concept from at least one scripture. I don't know if there's cooperating scripture, but it says where God says, before you were born, I knew you. It yeah. indicates that we were somewhere before we were born, but maybe we weren't, maybe we weren't like a conscious being. I don't know, you know, but maybe that's where that frame from. Yeah, right. I, I don't know the answer to that either. Okay. And I'd have to say I don't know. Okay, okay. Well, you didn't say he was a, a great philosopher and, you know, <laughs> prophet or, you know, nope. that kind of thing at all. You didn't say that. All right. Rose says, uh, Brian, what do you say to people who are already in hell? And I don't what know what that do, means. What do I say to people who are already in hell? Yeah. Well, it's from somebody who's seen the place and came out of out of God's mercy alone. Um, this is the part that people just can't wrap their heads around. Uh, hell is it's described in one place in the Bible, and I think it's Job 25 or 26, and it talks about Abaddon has no covering. Hell, hell has no covering. Uh, the dead tremble, writhe and wire, and all this stuff. It's a place of, of recompense, what it's describing. And so what people don't realize is when you're judged by the Lord and you see what, how ugly you are, you know your sentence is just. And there's like, and I wrote in my book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, that you really, uh, the people in hell know why they're there. And they, I call it a whispering ambiance, is always through there and it reveals their nature. It uncovers them, uh, who and what you really are. There's no restorative nature in hell. In other words, it uncovers the real you. So a person who, uh, and what, other per, what other people don't understand is there's uh, uh, 
there's layers in hell there's levels of hell and it's in a bottomless pit and there's levels of hell and so you have uh i think Anne graham lutz and some other people describe that you know when Jesus said to this city and that city, it'll be more tolerable than Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for you. There's different degrees of just recompense. Uh, and so, so say if you were a good old sinner and you, you know, and you never come to Christ, and then all of a sudden you realize what you're really like on the inside, uh, you, your you, your torment won't be like everybody else's. There'll be a just degree. But what happens is the real you is uncovered. Is what I call this eternal time progresses. There mm-hmm. sounds strange, but eternal time. Mm-hmm. There's a flow and rhythm to it that I can't even explain, mm-hmm. um, unless you experience it. Mm-hmm. But and so in a certain p- flow, I would call it, the people are moved to a lower level. It's real slow. And as you go to a lower level, um, you the more vile you become the real you actually comes out and that's what people don't understand so what i would say to the people in hell is um nothing i can say for as a survivor and people get mad at me how how can you be so cruel well i was down there and uh i know what it's like to be judged by god i know his judgment is, is just and i understand that these people there um this is what they want they refuse, they rebel, and this is what they get. And they, what they have sown in life, they will reap mm. in just degrees, and it will expose the real you inside. But you uh, think, let me ask you something, Brian. Uh, the Bible says there is none good, no, not one, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. But it sounds, it's almost, a, that's a light, almost kind of light there, because when it says fallen short, I mean, from what I can tell, if honestly in my own life, you know, things I've done, it, it's 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 not falling short, man. I mean, it's like, you know, off the cliff cliff bed, and it sounds like that's what that's what uh, you've sort of described your, yourself as being and things that you've done, and uh, you know, the Bible does say it's good to you know confess your sins one to another. You've already done some confessing, uh, but I'm just saying, uh, people. People that think they're good, I guess what I'm saying is they're, they're so far from that that they've deceived themselves. Would you, am, I, am I getting this right? That they, they deceive themselves. Well, I am I'm a good person. I, I might have fallen a little short, but it's probably not like that. And the reason is because isn't it that we deceive ourselves and put a covering over it and say, oh, it's not that bad? Yes, exactly. That's what I did. That's what it was revealed to me, how that cover was ripped off. Uh, I was revealed I was playing games. I was actually toying with God's love, maybe knowing it or not unknowing. I would say I actually knew it. If God really loved me, then he would, he would have to accept me anyway, and I don't need to accept his ways. He'll have to accept me anyway because he loves me. Mm-hmm. His unconditional love must accept me because, and so therefore I can go out and drink and smoke and, and run around and go to the bars, get in a fight, uh, for the fun of it, so forth, etc., and do those things without any 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 thought of it and i could lie i could scam i could get away with it i could uh um there are things i'd done you know it's just incredible how i thought yes it's very self-deceptive okay let, let me ask you there's always uh, a lot of lore about the gates of hell. well it's not actually lore i mean jesus said the gates of hell should not provide should not prevail against the church that peter was going to he built through peter was there a gate or was there a door or were there just a a, a tunnel 
for me, when I stood before the Lord and he judged me, I was, uh, I, I know I was in this dirty, filthy, looked like a judo suit, best way I could describe it, moth-eaten, stinky thing. And I was picked up and I was carried off to a doorway, and it could be the gate of hell, whatever, it rolled up like a scroll and I went through a tunnel. And um, so, was that, that the gate of hell? I don't know, but I know there are gates to hell, and in the Old Testament, a gate is where judgment was issued forth and plans of attack were issued forth in times of war where you gathered your army outside the gate and the generals would tell them you attack here and there. So when Jesus said uh, the gates of hell will not prevail, it meant that the enemy plans and schemes will not prevail against the church. You always have a remnant. I won't go any more than that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll say something. I've, you know, the Bible says, let a man examine himself, mm-hmm. see even whether he be in faith. So, you know, I do a lot of self-examination. And um, uh, that's how I know I've fallen short. <laughs> so, just, but, but I also catch myself, okay? I catch myself. I say, Daniel, now you're trying to work this deal here. You know, I'm talking to God. But way back in, there's another subconscious that I, where I'm talking to myself saying, now you're trying to... Daniel, you're moving this to, to like God's going to go for some kind of head fake. Obama called it a shake and bake. And I said, you can't get away with it. God knows what's on their side. And I'm thinking, okay, now he knows this. So that's got to stop. You know, do you, yeah. can, can you catch what I'm saying? Yeah, it's called sanctification. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I, you know, I catch so I, you know, I say, no, man, that ain't right. I mean, I, so I guess that's still kind of good. But uh, yeah, yeah. Scary. As a believer in Christ, He sanctifies you. You learn from your mistakes and mistakes of others, like you began with, and He reveals things. And I call it going to God's woodshed. He doesn't let you get away with nothing, and then you owe up to it. You be like, you know, and the people don't know how to be a man anymore. You owe up to your, your mistakes. You, you admit to them, mm-hmm. and then everything's right again. And there's more stuff that you find out, and it's just this thing. And you get cleaned up on inside, and you start improving as a person. Mm-hmm. Jesus um, said that hell was a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Did you see anything that resembled that? Uh, yeah, more than I let on sometimes. And um, well, well, when I came through that, uh, I call it the tunnel, and I went through this tunnel. It was like a spinning vortex inside of a, vault, uh, um, a tornado. And, it was, and I could hear all these sounds, and it was very hot and all the stuff. And I landed in hell and it wasn't what i expect flames and anything like that it looked like a house on a hill and um, all these people ran out to greet me and before I, I came to this place jesus spoke to me and said when you feel a sense of overwhelming say my name and my title and i knew it was jesus christ he gave me permission to say his name and his title i didn't understand it i was totally uh, flummoxed i was just like deer in the headlight look you just don't like, what's going on? I want to wake up. Why can't I wake up? And so I found myself in this place, and these things coming over here. I thought they were people, but they turned into hideous beings like demons, and they surrounded me, and I felt overwhelmed. And I said, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, as fast as I could, um, nonstop the whole time I was there, and that kept them at bay. So I learned the power in the name of Jesus right then and there. Mm-hmm. 
and they couldn't grab hold of me. They could punch me. They could poke me and stuff. They're hideous-looking things, different shapes and sizes. And one of them came to me. I call my nickname for him is Lizard Breath because his his breath was so foul it distorted his face, and um, it was like heat coming off the pavement. And that's kind of what it was like. It was hot, foul breath. And he said, come follow me. I offer you half the kingdom and whatever. And I didn't know what to do. So I just, he walked over to what looked like the horizon, stuck his finger in there and opened it up and stepped out of there. And I stepped out of this place. I looked back and I was inside of a cube. And, um, and inside the cube was small, but inside it looked like all outdoors. And, you know, just imagine later on the Star Trek The Next Generation came out and they had the uh, holodeck thing. It's sort of like that kind of thing. And whatever's in your mind is gives you the image of what's inside that cube and of your time frame that you died. And that's that was a cube or a cell. The Bible also says in Isaiah, I think it's 24, and, and, I, and Ezekiel 32 describes hell as a pit. A pit of hell is a pit, and it has levels, and um, and it talks about cells or chambers of death are embedded in the walls of the pit. And I think Isaiah 24 talks about hell being like a dungeon where there's cells. Uh, Proverbs tells that don't go to Folly's house where there are chambers of death or cells. Mm-hmm. A modern translation would read cells of death. So, yes, it's in the Bible. So you go into the, the cells. And when you're on, when I got up and walked out of my cube there, and it was like he was giving me a tour of hell. I don't know how else to say it. And uh, I wanted to wake up. And uh, it was a horrible place. And what I saw, and I'll try to help your viewers and answer your question here in a minute, was a, would be akin to a, uh, best thing I can correlate it to is a spiral staircase. And I was on this wide, dusty, dirty road that was like putrid, and there were little worms coming out with teeth, and these little white moths flying around with teeth, yelling blasphemies at you and and stuff, and you're walking in this putrid, it's like dusty mud, no other way to say it, and it's really gooey, and you're walking in this stuff, and these worms coming out, and all these, these white moths flying around, and you have this crazy creature in front of you, and you're looking around, there's all these demonic creatures around you, and you're sitting there going, what? And, uh, I didn't understand it. <laughs> well, I could say with Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he walked over to where the opening is of the spiral staircase, and I looked up and looked down, it was bottomless, a bottomless pit. And in the walls were the cells, the cells were stacked six high, and then the roof above me was actually a road. Uh, and so we start walking in a spiral down uh, to lower levels. And um, then we walk back to the cubes and don't know, explain it, can't explain it. But it was granted to me for some reason to understand who the people were, why they were there, and their life history just in a snap of a finger, in a nanosecond. So I went by there, and I could see all this stuff in this person's life. And so where we started, people weren't going through a whole lot of torment. Most of them were bored, bored to death. Others were uh, uh, getting worse and worse and worse. And that's um, what I was seeing. And so it was the lower you go in it, 
and you'll, you'll hear flames, you'll see flames, there's hot rocks, you'll see the, the worms, you'll see these moths <laughs> flying around. The best way to describe them are potato moths. They're white with teeth. And they yell and they scream and these wormy things and coming out um, like maggots and big, some of them big, some of them small. And it's uh, that's what you're walking on. It's like walking on death or something. And so there are places in there where there's flame and stuff, but um, but that's a kind of a little bit lower. I don't want to go too far into this right now, but that's that's what this place did, is like. It's see, like did, um, did hotter you? than hot there. It's it's incredibly hot. Like Bill Weiss said, he says it's like your eyeballs are about to melt out of the socket of your eyes. It's very hot. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil place. <laughs> Did you see Hitler there? I saw, yeah, I saw some prominent Nazis and people from history there, too, that I don't get into. I only gave the reference to Hitler once in a documentary because someone asked me, could I see anybody? Um so, so I just give you, you the idea you know, of the worst of the worst yeah. that I saw. So, Brian, and so, I, I, yeah, he he was in a burning, flaming uh, oven. Well, that's so apropos. He, that's apropos. There, I meant I've had people coming on this show that said it, that 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 God is so good that even Hitler has made it to heaven. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I know he's almost like a punchline now. If you don't like somebody, they're Hitler, you know. So that's what that's what we're broken the conversation down to now. I don't know, but it did sound to me like he would make it. I mean, after putting all those people in the oven, I mean, you got to be some kind of a level of demon. All right, hey, let's get some questions in. Uh, Life Station Express says, Brian, did you recognize people there? Only some some prominent people like Hitler and um, the architect of the uh, Final Solution, Reinhard Heydrich. I called him the blonde butcher. He died in 1944. Mm-hmm. He was in a, in a cube fencing and always losing. He hated to well, lose. Wouldn't you have to be a history buff to know that, or did he has, have his Nazi uniform on with his name on uh, No, he was fencing. I didn't know who he was when I first saw him, and until I saw a video of him fencing, and I go, and he took off his mask, and I go, that's the guy. Then I found out who he was that way. Mm-hmm. Some of these people I never knew mm-hmm. who it was. I knew Hitler because that was... Yeah, Okay. You see that you know who Mussolini is and stuff. I never okay. didn't see Mussolini. Okay. I didn't see I didn't see Elvis there. I didn't see anything like that. I mean, I mean. Uh, even I would even I wouldn't ask that question. Uh, would uh, how long were you in hell? And this is uh, I actually when I recovered it was like um, it was ten till noon. It was a ten till four when I came back because I came back. I landed my body came back in the same position. I left out of my head facing the clock, mm-hmm. so I know what time it was. So it was four hours, and uh, and that's when I was found and rushed to the hospital. I, I died along the way to the hospital, and I remember floating above the truck of the cab, and I told the uh, my neighbor after I got out of the hospital, you know, why'd you run so many red lights? You almost got hit by a, a Ford Falcon, a white Ford Falcon with some chrome there that was peeling off the back. And he goes, how did you see that? You were out of it. Your head was on your knees, and your head was hitting the um, the glove box. Wow! How did you see that? Well, I was floating above it. <laughs> hmm. So, from the time you were floating above your body to the time you entered the hell, how long was that? Uh, I would say all all inclusive would be about four hours. 
my blood, when I got to the hospital, my blood was viscous. And I remember the doctor saying that, and they were trying to get an IV in me and draw blood. They couldn't draw it because it was viscous. I don't know what all that means, but nurses have told me that's, uh, that's not a good thing. No, that, that doesn't sound <laughs> I, I created quite a stir in the emergency room. Okay. I, I don't think I was supposed to be alive. That's what it sounded like. Okay. Uh, Richard Aragon says, uh, does the devil stink? I'm thinking he does, but you kind of answered that question. Do uh, So demons, they just stink, don't they? They smell. They stink. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, Rose says, do you think there's a such thing as a purgatory like the Catholic Church teaches? Uh, no. <laughs> don't want to hurt people's feelings, but no. Uh, I tried to explain this in the book, but I did not do a good job. But there is a place in the cosmology of the, of the Hebrew, ancient Hebrews, as, as well as now, that Sheol is the residing place of the dead. You have a place called Abraham's bosom that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 16, where the Lazarus went. Mm -hmm. And then you had the rich man went to the what I call the current hell. There's two hells. There's the current hell, the pit, the bottomless pit. And there's the new hell. It's a lake of fire that will come at, you know, later. It's mm -hmm. in it, hell itself is going to be thrown in there, just like Revelation chapter 20 talks about. And so um, that's kind of the cosmology. And so you let's see. So you see the people in hell and you see all this stuff. And um, now, of course. It just went out of my head. I'm getting too old. My gray hair is starting to short circuit my, my memory here. So what was the question again? I just. Well, I, I tell you, we were talking about time, the time frame there. But oh, yeah, ask, let, me, let me ask you this, uh, Brian. Did you feel physical pain? I felt incredible fear and I could. There was pain there. I particularly didn't feel pain near the end till the end. But it was the people were experiencing pain and, and agony because um, they were having themselves exposed for who and what they're really like. And they were becoming worse. What was G now, so Jesus was with you? No, he wasn't with who me. He was first. with you. And so, yeah, he wasn't. I thought you said that you, you both were walking. But you yeah, said that's near the end of it. So. Um, oh, yeah, purgatory. I, that's where it was. Okay. So there is no such thing as purgatory. I want to answer that question. Yeah, you said that. And, and so, the, 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 so the cosmology was uh, the place of the righteous dead, Abraham's bosom, and the place of the dead, the current hell, which is what I saw. And so there's no such thing as purgatory because there's no reformation there. Mm -hmm. you, you're not reformed if you're there. Mm -hmm. Now, it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus descended into the abyss or hell, went to Sheol, and led captivity captive. He emptied out paradise. Every theologian worth their lick of salt says that, that I know of. And so that that has been dealt with. You know, and in my opinion, the current, this is my opinion, and um, is that there is a place for the Jewish people who found faith like Abraham and because they're covenant, God's covenant people, that paradise still awaits, awaits them. And then they still have to be judged and before they get into heaven. It sounds kind of strange, but that's just my opinion from my experience. But there is no um, 
purgatory, no reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see Satan? No, I saw other entities that were, con- uh, at first I saw this purplish uh, snake-like entity. I, it was very beautiful at first. And so I described it was to somebody, and I was doing an interview up in Detroit, uh, Michigan, and um, a conference call, whatever you call it back then, and with a video conference back, however you did it back then. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and the person was so interested to find out what this was, and so he actually showed me a picture of Hectate, mm-hmm. which would be would be the queen of queen of the dead or something. Mm-hmm. And basically, I know who Hectate is uh, in in the occult circles. That's the old crone, and um, it would be like the second in command of hell. So the yeah. Satan is not in hell. It talks in the book of Job that that, that um, Satan goes up to the throne of God to accuse the brethren night and day. So, so Satan's really not in hell. Mm. He won't be there until after Jesus comes back. Okay. All right. Uh, could you uh, talk about the uh, single tormented soul uh, that you saw that was most shocking? Ooh, where do I? How do I even get to some of them there? Um, mm. Let's see. Uh, I saw a lecherous preacher uh, there. He wasn't a saved preacher. He was a lecherous preacher uh, back in the uh, Kentucky Hills and, and back in the 1800s. That's when he died. And so he was there, and his cube was like a, an old-time revival meeting with candlelight and stuff. There was no audience there. There were all demons giving the illusion of people. And so they would come in, they would charge this guy, and you try to run his... He wasn't really running anywhere. He was in a small cell, and I could see everything happening. And then the entity came through and went through the roof, and he had uh, cloven hooves and, like, bird's feet, too. And he stepped on this guy's throat and, and trying to crush him, and then his torment changed. And he had his way with the lady. He was a very lecherous man. Then there was a uh, witch that I saw in a coffin, scratching to get out, trying to get out. And that symbolized, I knew this too, is that in her brand of uh, witchcraft, she would curse people to death, just like Ezekiel chapter 13 says, I think it's 18, you know, they can, they, they make people die who should not die. It says it. And so she was reaping the, a living death inside of hell in a coffin and she can't get out. Mm-hmm. And so that was, those were some of the most, uh, the ones that I saw, others were probably uh, people being torn to shreds, and they're being torn to shred by their own lust. It doesn't make a lot of sense as me to explain. It sounds pretty tame, but uh, these are demons, and they were tearing these people to shreds. Those are some of the others. Others people were simply bored out of their mind. Um, can't even explain that. But everyone chose sin and depravity. Uh, they always chose revenge and unforgiveness. There was no reformation there. And so there was um, one individual, and I'll just touch on the base to try to give you an idea. I go, I go dozens and dozens of these. But in my book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, I wrote about a chapter called Deer Pudding. And this was a lady who died in a car wreck and in america she came down in this tornado vortex like i was dropped in this cube in front of me we walked up there 
and I knew her life history, and, and she knocked on this door, and her cell opened, and she walked inside. She thought she was at her grandparents' farm, and Grandma opened the door, and she met all her relatives there to greet her. And she thought she was in paradise because it said, Dear Pudding, welcome to paradise. You're going to love it here. And I could see the entities not being human, but I could see them being human as well as the demonic creatures that they were, these hellish beings. And she only could see them as people. And she couldn't see them at that point. And so they said, Well, Dear Pudding, let's go outside and, and, and look around and this 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 person just left an impression upon me so so much so she said okay grandmother i'll go outside and uh this this looks like the old farm says this is paradise you'll love it here there's lots of love do you feel the love here oh yes i feel the love and acceptance and warmness here and this is so nice and she says well why don't you go over to your favorite spot by the trees i'll go in and bake your favorite cookies and as she turned, in her mind, her scenery changed, but she really wasn't moving. It's like the floor was moving like a treadmill. I can't explain it. And she was in this small cube thinking she was outside. And she couldn't see her grandmother, but her grandmother was this demon creature wringing its hands and snarling and, and cackling and, and hissing. And, uh, and like they're, all of them were getting ready to pounce on her, and she didn't even see, see, what, see it coming. She walked over to the tree in this rock. She thought she saw water there. There's no water in, at all in hell, but she thought she saw water. She picked it up, and that's when she first realized this wasn't paradise because all she did was pulled up sand. And she looked around, and the two trees were not um, trees. They were demons, like I call them tentacle-like creatures, and no branches but tentacles. And they came out and grabbed her, and she shrieked, and she screamed. And she realized this wasn't paradise. So it's, therefore, she was resuscitated before she was too soon, like medical professionals can resuscitate people who died. Her, she would describe that she was in heaven. And that's always stuck with me. And I also knew her life story that she wasn't all that. She wasn't really nice. People thought she was a nice person. Her kids didn't think she was so nice because she had a hand brush that she would beat her kids with. And she says, in this family, you're not going to be a truck driver. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a dentist. You're going to be a lawyer. And I'll beat it into you until you get it. Yes. And she was dominating, dominated her husband almost the same way. And she didn't get her way. She would assassinate people's character. And But in the outside, she was so nice. People think that she's the nicest person, part of the PTA, doing all these great community events, all these great things. People think that she's so great, but on the inside, her family knew what she was really like and how she tormented her own kids. It was incredible. Uh, and uh, that's when those, three, those entities covered her and she shrieked. It really startled me. So that was the, probably the most profound thing that I saw. Well, then there was a sex offender there that I wrote about in the book, too, that was another profound thing. And other things I saw, it's in the book. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we have your book in our background. How can people get that book, Brian? Well, they can go to Amazon.com and order it there or order it from your bookseller. Just look for A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion by B.W. Melvin on the picture there you see on your screen, and there you go. How, what do you say to people saying that you just, uh, you know, had some drug residue flare up or, <laughs> you know, you have a you had a nightmare? 
What do you tell those um, people? This nightmare I could not wake up out of, and there is no waking up because one thing I felt was totally a. When I, when I stood before Jesus, I felt love. Down there, there was none, and there was no mercy. And um, also, in a dream, you don't taste or smell. Hmm. You don't feel. There's nothing tactile. There in hell, you taste, you smell, you feel. And like you mentioned earlier, did I feel pain? It wasn't until near the end. And this is the end of the testimony, and I'll just say this real quickly. We took to a part of hell in the lower regions, and there was this open cell in there, and these entities were trying to get me to go inside this. And I got stark terror, and I could barely say the name of Jesus. It was roasting hot. It, just, it was roasting hot. And um, I was weakening. And my feet were being dragged through this mire with all those little wormy things I described, mm -hmm. being propelled into this cube with all these entities, and the and a dentist looked like a dentist chair, and um, and they're going to get me. I knew that would be where I entered hell. That this is the place where my cell would be in the lower depths in the future, and this is where I would be. This is what I deserved, and I knew it, and um, I was totally alone. Totally, uh, it, was, it was the worst experience I ever, you know, all kinds of, you know, the, from the heat being too hot, from the your feet being scraped in this miry goo, the dusty whatever, to, and you could feel that, and the pain of the place overwhelming you, and realizing at the same time there's no hope, absolutely no hope. And that's when Jesus came. And if I start crying, forgive me, but you know this, 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 um, this is why I know it's real. Mm -hmm. um, well, did uh, so, Brian, so anyway, um, I was real quickly here. He, I felt this presence come up behind me. Did not who it was. Who it was. I thought it might have been the devil going to throw me in with a pitchfork in this place, but instead, when he got behind me, his his presence shook the shook the ground like footsteps would just vibrate, shake everything, and all the creatures. Vamoosed out of the out of every, got away from him as soon as possible because he couldn't stand his presence. Then he reached down and he picked me up and he carried me out of there and I cried in his shoulder the whole way out. And he took me and then we came out and uh, he set my feet upon that big rock suspended in space and that's um, how I'm <laughs> know it's Jesus because when he picked me up I saw the nail prints in his wrist when he picked me up they pulled apart. And Isaiah 22 talks about uh, someone on the cross being crucified and their bones pulled out of joint. And that was excruciating. And he did that for us. And he, and he did that for me. And all I could do was, was, I had that revelation, all I could do is weep and cry in his shoulder because I owed him my life now. Because uh, I wasn't left in this place. And so many people are. I have no idea why he chose me to escape out of anybody else or whatever. I, I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve to come back. That's the thing. Um, and you were screaming, Jesus, forgive me. And uh, uh, hadn't he already forgiven you by allowing you to walk through there without being taken into one of those cubes? Well, I... I a long time ago when I was a kid and I went to, uh, this is, I call it before air conditioning, <laughs> BA before air conditioning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this Southern Baptist church with my parents at some meeting and I was a little kid and I had my little animals and stuff. I was playing on the pews and, uh, and they were talking about baptism and, uh, and it's hot. 
I thought of pool, I thought of water, I thought of doing my swan dive mm-hmm. and showing off. Mm-hmm. And so, so I said, Mom, I want to be baptized. I want to get in the water. And she said, no, I don't think you're ready for it. Said, you know, I want to show my swan dive, Mom. She said, no, I don't think you're ready for it. But um, So anyway, I know I came back as a kid singing, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Mm-hmm. I had that in my book, but the editors took that out. They didn't want that part in what? there. But in the original manuscript, that part's in there. Hmm. So probably when I was a young kid, something did happen. Hmm. Uh, what do you think they took that out? Pardon that you kind of I kind of lost the. Um, what do you Why do you think they the, the editors took that out? Um, they took quite a few things out. They said that you just need to get to the point of hell and don't get into this long diatribe, you know, reduce it to just three chapters. I don't know. My intro is like four chapters and compromise. And so I just was mixing things up in there in my life to break up the monotony of seeing hell. And, and that's how I was kind of doing my book. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't like it. Hmm. You know, when I found Brian, uh, after years of doing this program since 2004, um, that some of the worst shows I've ever had have made the biggest difference out there. Mm-hmm. And the ones I hated, people would comment, this is the greatest show ever. I'm thinking, did they watch the same show I just put out? I don't even get that. So I don't look at those those little things. It's like when I read the Bible, man, You know, when I'm reading all those names and stuff, I don't look at it like i got to speed read through here, get through here. I'm thinking there's something to this, why it's there. You know, mm-hmm. it's a part of the story. So I kind of resent that a little bit myself that they took that away because probably somebody out there needed what you had. I mean, there's some Christian uh, uh, musicians out there that say, you know, that the thing now is you never say Jesus in a song, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. All right. So uh, that's a new world order thing there. Is this stuff about demons and pitchforks? Is that real? <laughs> well, I don't think so. Um what these entities look like, there's a wide array. Uh, some are reptilian-like. A lot of them are strangely look like um, what Aleister Crowley drew uh, his image and looks like a gray, uh, wow. like an alien. And others look like reptile, reptilian-type things like dinosaurs. Others look like, most of them look like ancient pagan deities, mm-hmm. like the Mesopotamian thing. You look at the, is it the, is it the Paru's? The, the demons that come out to torment with little wings on there and their mm-hmm. the beak on them and stuff and they look like that some of them and their their, their faces would turn around they had multi they had like three to four faces and it would they would rotate around i can't explain why that is and, they, and that's what i saw and so a lot of them um, the taller ones had authority over the smaller ones there's a hierarchy it's a very military hierarchy they jostle each other they they um they they banter back and forth, and, and we would think that they were divided. They're not divided. They are very together in their hatred toward God and bringing as many people to this place as possible. Well, let me ask They're you. a military formation. That's all I got to say. So, so at the very end, you say Jesus escorted you out of hell? He carried me. I was, he carried, I carried me the whole way. That's what I described in my book. That's how it happened. He lifted me up and he went to the center part of the uh, pit where the open place is. And when he floated up and came back to where I entered in from and came through the same tornado vortex and set my feet upon the same rock there. And um, so. 
So, so he well, spoke to me, he spoke to me in, in like in thought, and he blew on me, and I went back through the void, and then I floated into my body, and then I somehow I could not breathe, and I don't know how I got outside. I know the neighbor found me and rushed me to the hospital, and that's the rest is history. When, when he breathed on you, did it seem like he was, like, say, imparting the Holy Spirit to you, or was he imparting life back into your body? My personal opinion, no one's ever asked that question, but I'm glad you asked. It was life, imparting life into me. It was like giving me a breath, my breath back mm. so I can come back to life. It's the only way I can describe it. Sort of like when God breathed into Adam and became a living soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like it was, without that I would not be here. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, when, so Jesus was actually in hell, right? Yeah, he came to hell and he rescued me. It's the only way I, I don't deserve it, but he sure did. Okay. And I owe my life to Jesus Christ for that. And some people go, oh, how do you know that happens? Not a hallucination. Well, that's why. Mm -hmm. uh, if you knew how I used to be and why I am now, uh, it, you, uh, there's a change in my life. And I owe Jesus Christ my life. And I wish people would teach salvation messages and mention the name of Jesus and, and describe the gospel as it's intended in the scriptures. And they don't. They water it down, and they don't. There's no people don't even know why they're getting saved. <laughs> hmm. I don't think I don't think a fire burning hell is much of a message today in today's churches. Do you? No, it's not. It's kind of air conditioned hell. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what they teach. They don't even teach that. Mm -hmm. They have a wrong idea of God's love. Is what it is. They don't understand the concept. It's so deep and vast. I don't fully understand it all, and I'm still studying it. My question about Jesus being there in hell with you, I think you mentioned earlier that people were screaming out Jesus' name. Were people? Did people see Jesus when he was there? Um, people were inside the cubes. Inside the cubes, you couldn't see out. Uh, there were people being escorted uh, in the periphery area and around in different places I saw into the cubes as well as the tornado vortexes. But I couldn't honestly say that any of them saw Jesus. Okay. To me, they did not. Okay. Have you talked to anybody else who's been to hell? I talked to, I found on doing my testimony, I found people in audiences who, who described the same thing I saw. And Bill Weiss, you know, did. We, our testimonies came out about the same time. Mm -hmm. Other people mentioned it, too, as well, mm -hmm. who have died. And I met people who have. I met uh, Theodore Inez from, he's in Navajo, down in Farmington area. Okay. And I spoke with him on, we did a lot of uh, First Nations um, a ministry from 2009 about, to current. What about Mary Kay Baxter? Um, I met Mary Kay Baxter and stuff, but I mean, I don't really know her that well. I mean, I know she passed away, so. Yeah. She described, when you were talking, she described several things. She was on this show. She described pits that people were mm -hmm. standing in, said that their flesh would melt off their body and then they would come back. And she also described cells in the mm -hmm. walls. Yeah, she, yeah. Oh, I actually spoke with her at a conference a few times, and she, she reminded me of Paula Dean. I mean, she was just a southern lady and, and very nice. And um, so, and she, she described things that I saw and other people have seen. So, I mean, it seemed like the testimonies of hell are pretty consistent. There's Have pits. You, I saw the same thing. I saw areas of hell where there are open pits, and that part was edited out too. And they told me that that part was edited out because 
You're telling them their people are trapped in holes is too redundant. <laughs> Please get rid of that. <laughs> okay, so, so the people... The people are telling you this, are, are these people saved and wanting to get people saved or are they book writers? I, I don't I paid for these editors and different editing, different section, and then, uh, it was a mess. Okay. <laughs> well, it might be a messy, but you did get a book out, and that book mm -hmm. has got you at least, you know, some some uh, notice there, I mean, some mm -hmm. venues to, to get your message out. Uh, now that we have a whole church system that basically has written out hell and, and even probably written out the book of Revelation, too, as well. Yeah. That, that goes on to this where I want to go with it, the remainder of the time we have there, Brian, and that is, um, have you seen demons since you came back? Uh, on occasion, yeah. There's, you know, I don't want to freak people out, you know, but yeah, sometimes you'd see them. And when I, uh, I encounter, you know, you have to do deliverances sometime, you do ministry, and somebody will manifest, and you will have to cast out something out of people, and you better know what you're doing. <laughs> and so, um, so the, the first time that happened, I was a young Christian and we got called to a person's house and said there, this teenage girl is in freshman high school, weighs about 90 pounds, is having some problems and there are weird things happening in the house. So we went over there and they, and the couple left. And so we were sitting there and so she comes out and Gretel, a Gretel man's voice. And my friend was with me. He is a weightlifter, 210 pounds, solid as a rock. She picked him up, carried him across the room and threw him against the wall. And he said in the name of Jesus, he dropped him. We had praise music, record player, start playing backwards. A picture flew off the wall, um, things like that. And then it crawled over to me in a contorted way that human body can't, can't bend coming toward me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you shut up. I know who you are. You sit right there. I want you to come out of this person right now in the name of Jesus. And I sat there um, with a man's voice coming out of this 90-pound-year-old girl. And so um, I said, okay, since you're not going to come out, I'm going to get the book of, of Revelation. I'm going to read you chapter 20 until you come out. And when, so I picked that up and started reading it. That thing screeched, and it left. Wow. And she came back normal. And what she did, she goes, I'm hungry. So we got her something to eat. Mm -hmm. And she, I think she went off to Bible college later and went there, into some type of ministry you, with you, her husband you later. Mean, you mentioned uh, in, uh, in hell that uh, the demons are extremely angry and hateful, spiteful, mean, mm -hmm. unforgiving. Yeah. Now, that sure does describe a lot of people in this country today. They have unreason, <laughs> hate. And they don't even know why they hate so much. Some some of them scream at the sky. Some of them just assume kill you. Some of them assume inject you with stuff. There's all mm -hmm. kind of bad stuff. Uh, this unreasoned hate seems to be manifesting here on planet Earth. Is there anything that you recognize in the political sense that you sense is being sent from the depths of hell to be manifested in, in the current culture? How long do you have? <laughs> As long How as much we time? Need. <laughs> well, you got something to say. I, I could we'll go be off right on here. A tangent on that right there, but okay, well, let's very, go. very much so would be my short answer in every okay. way. The there is an influence from hell that influences people to be this way, and uh, the devil knows exactly, and all the demons of hell know human chemistry and how humans are better than we do and they've been at this game for some time, and they can manipulate and deceive people, and they make them that way. Put the to put it in a short condensed Reader's Digest version. Yes, I see it all the time. I see it in the World Economic Forum. I see it in um, 
all these people that are involved in it. I see it in Joe Biden. I see it in Kamala Harris. I see it in Nancy Pelosi. I see it in many uh, members of Congress. I see it in the liberal parties over in England. I see it all over the place. And there is a definite agenda. And I have a YouTube channel. I go into this in my videos in much depth. And so if people like to go to my YouTube channel, it's called The Christian Marauder. I don't know how long it will be up. I'm going to rumble because I already got one axe on me. So. <laughs> That's the devil right there, man. I'm, I'm, under, I'm under axe review right now. I got hit a couple of weeks ago, and that thing, uh, so I got off for a week. I didn't have a show, but that's the second time. But So I got to wait till May before that clears out. So, yeah, I've got, I had to go to Rumble myself. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, demons are everywhere. That's what seem, there seems to be this mocking spirit. For instance, you laughed at, at Kamala Harris' question there in, in What is Hell? And one of the questions was looking at Kamala's face. When she, when she cackles, that reminds me of a demon from one of them cells you're talking about down in the pit yeah, of hell. Exactly, exactly. And some of the facial expressions of Nancy Pelosi, too. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they, they, and here's another thing. Am, am I am I am I seeing this right? Do I see some of these so-called leaders' eyes turn black? Uh, Biden's eyes did. It used to be blue. So there you go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can look at his older pictures. He had blue eyes. Now he has black eyes. Yeah, and he, he squints all the time. But but it it also seems that one of the things that demons like to do is to mock God's creation of man and say, look look here's man now, like. You know, look, look, here's Job, you know, just let me, just let me take everything mm-hmm. from him. We'll see how you're created. So there's always this mocking, but there seems to be this mocking coming from this administration more than just, in, there's not intelligence. It's mm-hmm. like a mocking and a scoffing and a hatred that's being just oozed out of there. I'm telling you, somebody pulling the strings there, uh, Brian. Uh, there is. And again, I, yeah, how much time you got? We have to do another show on this. But on, in my videos on my channel, I get into this, I describe this, and I prove it to you with the data, actual facts, and not just conjecture. You had, for example, John F. Kennedy warn in a speech he gave to the media, never, ever become favored of one political party or another. Always criticize everybody, and politicians need to get used to being under the microscope. Never let go of that. If you do, it's over, basically. Mm-hmm. We are in a vast conspiracy of... Uh, industrial media so forth complex J. Edgar Hoover as weird as he is warned about it in 1957 he said there is conspiracy so evil that people simply would not believe that it exists that there are people out there who want to destroy all that's decent and good he had Larry McDonald who died in the 007 Korean airline crash in 2003 or 7 or whatever it was yeah can't remember the year or 1983 and he was, uh, gave an introduction to a book to expose the Rockefellers, and he said that there is a, a, a mix of, of corporations uh, and, uh, and the communism and that's diabolically evil and, and intent and purpose. And so this, in halls of Congress, on congressional floor, you can see the records of people warning about this. So I went through all this, and I discovered that these people... Uh, Way up there, it's a hierarchy. It's the occult hierarchy. You in the occult hierarchy, you have the people on top who do the incantations and all this Luciferian satanic stuff. They do not tell the people below them what they do. 
they have to initiate them. So they have a pyramid scheme where they initiate the entire society to think alike, to be alike, because Satan wants to mirror God. He wants to be the author of a new creation, so he wants to make a, uh, a new man. You have the, um, for example, people may not know this, but there are these ancient pagan gods. They have a lot of storylines, and you have Ishtar. Um, she's called the morning star and the evening star. And the morning star was the female side, and the evening was the male side. Androgyny, uh, transgender stuff. I can't say much. I don't want to get you banned again. But they, um, go ahead. It, 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 it's there. And you have this agenda here where women are being dehumanized, and you know, and it's it's terrible. They're called birthing persons and menstruating persons, but you can't say that they're a woman. And men are winning sports events, and uh, and and the women don't have any rights to even you know, have their own sporting teams. And if you say that's wrong, they jump on you. This is demonic stuff. This is conjuring. This is what the pagan world looked like. They want it to blend, and what the devil wants to do is make a new human being that is androgynous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I, I don't see anything controversial about that. I say you're dead right on. And in fact, uh, I don't know if you have, have you ever seen this program from its beginning, the whole thing. I watched a little bit. I haven't seen the whole thing from well, into the well, beginning. Well, you probably, but... you, if you've watched anything, you've probably seen videos of an edited interview. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the whole show. From eight, there's another part of the show that goes from eight to eight thirty. And mm-hmm. in that section, I do something called ranting points, where I just go off today's news and I just go crazy. I go, so mm-hmm. I don't even know why I get, I should be banned every time I do one of those. But, I, <laughs> but anyway, so before you came on, I did my usual ranting points, and I showed the video clip of um, of um, Katanji Brown Jackson, the Biden appointment for Supreme Court, saying mm-hmm. she could not tell what a woman is in <laughs> question on the Senate floor. She said. What is a woman? She says, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Now, this person is going to be assigned to a lifelong tenure at the Supreme Court, making laws for the rest of the country to abide by, and she can't say the, answer the basic question. That goes to the androgynous thing. I mean, she she might be a woman, I guess, but she might be a he, she, I don't know, because she don't, she must not know who she is because she can't know, doesn't know what a woman is or when she looks in the mirror. But this person is going to lead the country, and I'm just, I'm just wondering... That just kind of ties into what you said about this creation of a new androgynous species where there's no family, there's just entities with Mm -hmm. pronouns. And the World Economic Forum is talking about altering DNA, making transhumanism. I think you've had um, Dan Quayle on your show and some other folks who talked about this. But these transhumanism stuff, and they're talking openly about this. It's not a conspiracy. They're openly talking about it. And... Uh, see what is it? Uh, what's his name? Um, Harara. I just know his middle name, Noah Harara. He's an advisor to the Economic Forum. He's probably Klaus Schwab's successor. Mm-hmm. Talks out of both sides of his mouth, and he um, said that uh, we need to guard against digital tyranny, but we need to digitally surveil and put things in your body to monitor and track you and your thoughts to make sure you know. But don't worry, the elites will take care of this and make sure no one uses it for tyranny. Right. <laughs> so the, the, this is, these guys are open. I can send you the video. You've probably even seen it. It's from the World Economic Forum itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I shake my head. I'm going, 
does anybody else see this stuff? And what, what the plan is, Dan, is goes back to the ancient pagan storyline. And the storyline was that the triple goddess, you know, the, the old crone, the mother, the, that's Mother Earth, Gaia, and Ishtar, Artemis, they're all Aphrodite, they're the same entity. They go down into the abyss, and they want to bring back this entity that's imprisoned there to rule the world. Hmm. You go read Aleister Crowley, not Aleister Crowley, but Blavatsky and others, and, and Alice Bailey and Foster Bailey stuff. They all talk about the same thing. This entity will come. He can't come until you take over all the halls of government, media, arts, entertainment, so forth, etc. And then this Messiah figure can come back and rule the world. And so you have a globalist mindset who wants to control the world's population in order to solve the sin question so people do not rebel against them. Like Klaus Schwab says, you will own nothing and be happy about it. Mm. You'll be digitally hacked. That's what this um, Mr. Herrera talks about, that human, human beings can be digi digitally hacked and you can put thoughts in their mind and so forth, etc. And this would be a brave new world. This would be mm -hmm. a brave when, new world and uh, Alice they, Huxley and uh, Orson Welles 1984 combined. Even when, worse. When they, uh, let me ask you, uh, Brian, when the big guy, uh, Joe Biden, when he's not crapping his pants or uh, smoking crack with his crackhead son, is he trying to start World War III? Um, this, I'm going to give you my opinion on it. And since I, since I know that from Klaus Schwab's own mouth on video, and I heard the tapes, he lauds the young leadership. <laughs> he lauds Justin Trudeau as his own. He says that he has many of his, his people in the cabinet of Canada, as well as many cabinets around the world. It's, it's all set. This is 2016 when he said this. Mm -hmm. It's all set. Joe Biden's on the list. Putin is a member of the economic forum. Uh, what's her name, Tulsi Gabbard, that makes all these mm -hmm. appearances on Fox News. Yeah. She's part of the young leaders that trained with Justin Trudeau. People don't know that. I don't know if she's a whistleblower. hope she is in exposing this. That could explain why she's doing it. But I hope she's not a controlled opposition type of person. I don't know. But you have all these people in there who know Joe Biden, and, and they all come back with the same phraseology build back better comes from the united nations interplanetary conference on how to build back a better world through crisis and natural disasters and borrowed by klaus Schwab, build back better was borrowed by boris johnson justin trudeau and joe biden and even putin and so it's all on video so in my opinion this is they're playing us hmm. so we got this uh, lockdown junk, and then we have this uh, tightening of destroying our liberties and freedoms. Mm -hmm. Now they're attacking the economy. Now there's going to be food shortages. Biden just said his own mouth there will be a new world order mm -hmm. just the yeah. other day. Mm -hmm. And um, so what would be the catalyst in order to usher a great reset and, and make one world government? You need a war. So you can grab War Powers Act and crush the opposition before they can have the next election. Hmm. That's my opinion. I don't know if that will happen, but just connecting the dots, I wouldn't be a well, bit surprised that this that, is all that, contrived. That is exactly the dot connections that a lot of people have made. You're definitely not alone in that. I mean, you'd have to be some kind of fool 
to not see that those dots are all connected. There's a definite path there. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, the Bible says uh, that the, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. I think the people that are deceived are the people that don't know about God's word, haven't accepted Christ, or they just simply, um, they, they don't, they don't want to see it. And their hope is all going to go away. But it doesn't look to me, Brian, like it's going to go away. And neither is the choice that people have about whether they go to heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. So what is the choice they need to make to stay out of hell? Because it may be that this new world order may put people to that that portal. We, we, we said mm -hmm. earlier, you know, that decision that you're going to go this way or that way. What do people mm -hmm. need to do to, to make that choice the right one? Well... You simply realize you got to accept Jesus Christ as your your Lord and Savior is, is the traditional way. But I always will say, um, look to the cross. And this is a part of the, the doctrine of the cross that people, they used to teach this. <laughs> I remember them hearing it. So it's not new. But they used to go to uh, Matthew 26 and 27, for example, and said that, uh, you know, they, they plotted against Jesus and they traded him for 30 pieces of silver and they schemed against him and plotted against him. So I look at myself and I go, my God, who have I plotted against in my life? Oh, my. Uh, who have I schemed against? Mm -hmm. And then I, then, then I start seeing that he was betrayed. And I go, not only was he betrayed, but all the disciples, their families, there were more than just the 12 there. There were their families and, and wives were with them too. Kids were there. Mm -hmm. So all these people could have been killed by Judas. And so Judas betrayed not only Jesus, but his friends, everybody. And then I look at myself and, and I want people in line listening. How many people have you betrayed? Well, you say, I've been betrayed. Well, that justifies it. You know, well, how does it make you feel? So who have you betrayed? You know, who have you, you know, Jesus was made to stand before the, 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 the high priest and false witnesses bore against him, false accusations. How many times have we done that? And in Jeremiah chapter 17 says the heart is desperately warped and twisted or, or wicked. And who can know it? God knows it. And it's the only way he can expose it is through the cross. Because what happened to Jesus is what we do to each other, our friends, our family. Uh, we do it to ourselves. We do it to God. Mm -hmm. And so we abandon, we betray, we, we lie, we mock, we beat with our words or beat with our fist, people. Or, you, you know, uh, Jesus was taken to the governing authorities and demand, you better do this, do some miracle for me. How many times, as I said when I was an atheist, if you're really alive, God, you would tap dance for me somehow. Now, you know, you would do this if you really exist. So, and Jesus answered them not a word. And that's the same answer I got when I did this. How many times have people have done this? And then you think you can make heaven. And then you go down and then you made to carry a burden that Jesus could not bury, uh, carry. It was a cross. And how we put burdens on people's shoulders they could not carry. Maybe you're a supervisor and you're a tyrant. How many times do you put burdens on people's shoulders they can't bear? And to, hopefully you could crucify them and get rid of them. And, you know, all too often that's the way it is. And our political process is filled with that type of ideology and then you go to you look at the cross even further and he was uh nailed to it his bones were pulled out of joint and he was suspended up there and people were stealing his garments who have i stolen from 
oh my God, I am guilty of every one of those things, just like everyone listening to me is, and that part of the aspect of the cross is not taught. And then they don't understand the love of God cherishes and nurtures wants to, uh, in such a way that Jesus came to bear our sin in his body, so to speak, to uh, take our punishment, our death penalty, in our place for us, that type of love I can't wrap my head around. Why would you come to a miserable lot who robs, betrays, steals, backstabs, lies, do all these things? And he says, yeah. And he, on the cross he said, Father, forgive them for you know not what they do. But now you do. And so the thing is, is, and you feel like, Jesus, why have you forsaken me? Well, look around. You crucified goodness. You crucify everything that's decent and good. You want to create a brave new world. You crucify everything. You abandon. You steal my garments. You do this. That's why you were abandoned. It's like, oh. And Jesus did that for us. He took our sin debt. He paid our sin debt. He paid the price for our sins, for what we do to each other and to God and to ourselves took our punishment on our behalf bore the wrath of God too on our behalf that makes a person grateful to say that I can be forgiven when he said forgive them for they know not what they do when you place your trust and faith in the death burial and resurrection of Christ because he wasn't left in the grave he rose from the dead so we can rise with him into newness of life and inhabit heaven with him for eternity this world is not our home this is temporary. I have a hope. I know where I'm going. I had the privilege of seeing heaven as well later on in my life. It was a special little thing to calm me down about seeing hell. And so I know heaven's real. I And it's much better than this place. But I also know that I have a job and a task to, get, to do. And I'm not perfect. Yeah, I make mistakes. But I go to God's woodshed a lot. I get spanked. And yes, I know that he loves me. He doesn't let me go. And I'm not going to trade that in for anything. I don't care about Joe Biden. I don't care what these people do. I don't care about them. I will make a stand for righteousness and holiness, and I will stand up and defend women, womanhood. And there's an interesting passage I want people to think about. It's in Daniel chapter 11, 28, I think it is. It says that there's an antichrist, and this antichrist is also a spirit of antichrist in the world, and that spirit of antichrist will not have the desire for women. And that means, that word desire means beauty. Will not desire the beauty of womanhood would be a more literal translation of that. And we're seeing that today. People do not desire the beauty of womanhood. I will defend that. Hmm. You know? And we're, we're seeing that erased. We're seeing nut jobs <laughs> taking stage and insanity ruling. You're seeing people being robbed, stolen from, abandoned and abused by these people. And it's got to stop, and Jesus will stop it, and that's why he came to infuse us with the Holy Spirit. We come filled with the Holy Spirit, we come born again, and that we can make a change in this life. And see, in the book of Genesis, it says we are created in the image and likeness of God. That means we are to reflect his love. The Holy Spirit was shed abroad in our heart. The love of God was shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit was given to us so the love of god we learn how to cherish nurture take care of edify build up trust 
uh, teach people to walk according to truth and not according to lies of the world and how to be new creatures. We, we, we do that. We come alongside to aid. Those are all definitions of the word agape that I came up with. And as well as, you know, you have to chase and rebuke sometimes in order to restore people. And I'd rather have that and live in a, a world that allows you to reason and think and have an honest debate than one that shuts you down and cancels you because you don't toe the mark. And so whatever world a person wants to live in, you know, it's up to them. But if you come to Christ, you have to see that you are a wretch. You lied, you abandoned, you stole, you put Jesus on the cross. No other way to say it. Even though you weren't there, you sure proved it by how you treated other people because that's what the Lord showed me. And I don't deserve heaven. But his great love says, I come to restore you back and reconcile you. And all you have to do basically for that is say, Lord, forgive me. Lord Jesus, come and forgive me. I'm a wretch. And just talk to him some carpet time and, and cry out to him, have mercy on you. And, and then when you see that, uh, he, he takes addictions away. I've seen it. He takes things away from people and that are causing them ruin in their life once they make them. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, it's a journey, but he helps you in a way that you can't explain. That's why I know he's real. And you have the indwelling Holy Spirit given as a gift that will seal you forever his. And um, you're not going to go desire to go out there to the bar and all this stuff. You're not going to justify all that old life. You're going to be shedding it and getting rid of it because you want to shine to be more like Jesus, knowing that the world will hate you, but you're still going to shine anyway. Some sanity in the world and not this craziness. And so that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what you do. You just say like uh, in, in, in the chapter in Luke there, I can't remember if it's chapter 12 or not, but... Uh, Jesus gave a thing of this Pharisee beating his breast and say, hey, you know, Lord, look at me. I'm a hot to trot. I'm righteous. I'm holy. And then there was a publican who said, beat his breast and said, man, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I blew it. I made life ugly. I destroyed people's lives. Have mercy on me. Jesus asked, which would be justified would be the sinner because he saw who he was. The self-righteous prig does not know that he needs saved until you see it on the cross. There. <laughs> got got on my soapbox. No, I don't think you got on your soapbox. I think you're just telling some truth there, Brian. Amen. Um, you pretty much did this in 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 what you just said. But is there after you've been to hell? I I would like to know how you would. And you presented Jesus very well. Is there is there a, a prayer that you have come to develop that you feel would be impactful to somebody watching the program? who needs Jesus in their life? Is there any kind of prayer that you would have or maybe? Yeah, I, I have a prayer. And I did write part of it in the book, but um, uh, in the last chapter of the book, and whoops, I'll get to it here. I didn't mark it in the page slot. And this is, this is, this is my prayer. It's in the page 200 of my book. <laughs> okay. It says, Dear God, Lord Most High, I'm dumb as a post and I know nothing. I'm tired of living my life and making things all ugly around me. I ask you to forgive me and make me whole. Teach me, instruct me, guide me, never let me go. Dear Lord Jesus, invade my life and help me make life alive where I, where I have been assigned. 
I need your spirit of life blown inside me. Please do this for me. The nails tore into your wrist, causing your bones to be pulled apart for me. I do not understand why you did this, but please teach me. Dear Jesus, Jesus, teach me the way I should go. Make me born again from above by the breath of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I put that in the back of the book for people to pray. And the other prayer was, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Simple. All right. Well, now, Brian, uh, is there anything we didn't discuss that you came prepared to discuss that we didn't mention? Well, there's, there's a lot, but, you know, we can save it for later. But, you know, um, it's just uh, everybody's going to face a reckoning someday. If you're not a Christian, you're, there comes a reckoning, and they need to make that prayer their own. And that's the only thing I can really say right now, because I think we're living in such an hour where I believe that there's a last call going out for people to get saved. And because I think all indications, boy, we are so close to almost at the threshold of the book of Revelation, ready to unravel before our eyes. Mm. That's a scary proposition. (laughs) Well, it certainly is. Well, it sounds to me like you've been, been through hell and, um, and you've seen the reckoning that's going to be coming to every human being. You know, no matter how much money or success somebody has, they're going to they're going to come right to that same place mm-hmm. in all this life. Yeah. Really, I, I, I just want to answer this one thing that people have. They they um, you know, I don't want to see anybody go to hell. Not even Nancy Pelosi or even Kamala Harris. I really don't. But I know that some people are just not going to accept Jesus no matter what. And I also respect that. But um. So, but I don't want to see anybody who's alive go to hell because, and people get mad at me. They say, Brian, you sound really harsh and mean about people who are in hell. Um, um, I don't mean to, but the people in hell currently know why they're there. And the real them is being exposed and they know that they were actually allowed to heaven. They would turn heaven into hell like they did did to the earth. And you don't. And God's not going to allow that because He loves. He wants to protect His own because God's love protects His own. And so, so you know, the people who are in hell, you go, Brian, you're kind of heartless to them. I go, well, I'm not really heartless. I'm just a survivor from there, and I just know from experience. Uh, if you just know how ugly the sin nature is in people and how deceived people are. Uh, and they don't even see it in themselves. And then when it comes out in hell, you understand what I mean. <laughs> um, and I don't mean to sound heartless about people in hell, but I can say everyone in hell knows they deserve it. And I've been called heartless for saying that. Well, I'm not trying to be heartless. It's just a fact. <laughs> it's truth. They know why they're there. Yeah, I think I think everybody's got a, a closet. And I think everybody's got some stuff in there that they're not proud of. And I think it's probably worse than most of us would care to admit or even probably even remember. But, uh, uh, Brian Melvin, I appreciate you coming on the Edge broadcast. How did you like this interview? I liked it. I liked it very well. I'd like to do another sometime if you like to. I'd okay. like to discuss the New World Order and check okay. out my uh, channel. It's called The Christian Marauder. Well, the okay, because that, that's my next question. Can we have you back on the show? You just answered. Sure, yeah. Because you see some of my videos on there, you'll see that I go into depths of this and I approach it differently. I, I deal on Christian fringe topics <laughs> mm. from UFOs to everything. 
to uh, stuff. UFOs, I like Chuck Missler said, you know, UFOs are interdimensional beings called fallen angels, watchers, and demons. <laughs> so. Hey, uh, you, you mentioned you, you mentioned this a couple times about women, about the state mm. of women out there. Mm-hmm. So before we go, I got a little test for you. Okay, you ready to take it? Yeah. Right, it's an easy one. Just it's just going to be a, a, a picture test. Let me let me jump out of the picture here and take okay. you out. And then for for you, what comes across the screen there? Uh, there are going to be six women, and all you got to do is tell me which one is a woman. <laughs> only the one on uh, Melania. There's only one woman on this picture here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, rest are men. I'm sorry. Uh, if you can't tell the difference. We'll pray for you. We'll cast a <laughs> demon out of you or something. <laughs> I bet you've never seen that coming. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, Brian Miller, appreciate you coming on the program, and we'll have you back, brother. Well, that pictures will give you nightmares. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a nightmare from hell right there. Yeah, it is. It's sad those people are headed there, and um, they can't see their own pride. So, anyway, amazing. <laughs> okay. All right, Brian, I'll let you go, and we'll have you back on the show. All right, well, God bless. We'll talk to you later. All right, bye-bye. All right, everybody.